Welcome once again to another episode of the Random Access Podcast, brought to you by RAPodcast.net. This is episode 533, recorded live on Sunday, October 29th, 2017. And here are your hosts, the man who's playing the part of co-host this week, Brian Lindsley. Hello, hello. The man who's got the right microphone this week, Andy Lowe. Hi. And the man who asked me if he could be a guest on this week's episode, Steve Radabaugh. Hello. Yes, so um, I need to apologize first and foremost for about last week's episode. That was that was bad. I, uh, I I recorded with Jake, and he hasn't you know really recorded all that often, so he couldn't tell that there was an issue with my microphone, oh. i.e. that I was using the laptop microphone on the closed laptop in front of me rather than <laughs> the my nice. One? Yeah, my laptop is actually closed in front of me because I've got an external monitor and keyboard and mouse. So yeah, I uh, I somehow accidentally unplugged my good mic, so it defaulted to the laptop mic, and that's why it sounds horrible. Because there was, uh, I, I tried to edit as much as I could, but there was literally no audio there to even rescue. It was just silence above four thousand hertz. So it uh, uh, it's too bad. It was bad. So this time I made sure <laughs> that I've got the right microphone. <laughs> At least. I think I've got the right microphone. I should double check this. <laughs> it's It sounds fine to my end. Okay. Yes, default device is the USB microphone. So we are okay. So now that my penance is out of the way, hello. Hello. Again. Hi. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, Dave's still down in Australia at PAX Australia. So uh, hopefully we'll be hearing from him at some point. Hopefully he'll make it back to this country at some point. I'm sure he will. He might have some goodies for us. Ooh. I know he was trying to get some interviews with some of the game developers down there. So uh, hopefully that will be uh, something to look forward to in the future. So how is everybody doing? Did anybody have any Halloween parties to go to last weekend? No. Or, Unfortunately, or weekend? we haven't gone to a Halloween party in years. We end up just staying home and giving out candy every year. We, uh... My daughter was in a play this weekend, so we were going to host one, but we had to cancel it because of the play going on that we couldn't sacrifice. Oh, what was the play? Uh, They did The Sound of Music. Oh. Yeah, and she was Marta, which is the second youngest child, so that was pretty cool. I love The Sound of Music. Yeah, Kate also likes The Sound of Music as well. Isn't The Sound of Music coming next year? Yeah. Mm. Yeah, they uh they're the our university in town here, the Western Michigan University has a pretty good Broadway production people that come in all the time for plays and musicals and everything. And I think uh Lion King and The Sound of Music are coming. Nice. Ooh. You'll so have to let me know it. when Sound of Music comes in so we can drop right. by. Okay. I will uh once I figure out when that is, I'll let you know. Cool. God. Yeah, Brian. Sorry, I'm trying to have two conversations here. So, Steve, why did you want to guest on this week's episode? Well, I just had a new game come out on iOS and Android, and I wanted to, you know, kind of do the rounds and talk about it and try to get some interest in it. So, uh, what, what's this game about? So, my game is called Cast Off. Uh, it's originally a card game, and I've been working with the developer of the card game, I gentleman known as Jonathan Lavalli, and uh, he approached me and said, you know, I've got this game, I think it'd be a better app, and I said, hey, I make apps, let's do it. Um, and so it's a game about, uh, with um, hilarious, imp- inappropriate casting. So they'll break into teams, one team will get a selection of three cards that they draw off a deck, um, or in this case the app provides them, um, that will have different famous voices on them. And then they'll get three more cards that have different movie lines on them. And they have to pick a line from a movie and pick a voice and hand them to somebody in the other team. The person in the other team has to then impersonate the voice while reading the line from the movie, as if they're auditioning for the role. And then the rest of their team has to guess who the, who's doing, who the character is that they're impersonating, what the movie that the line comes from, the name of the actor, the name of the character, um, and just different information about the movie. And then every piece of information they can guess, they get a point. They have 30 seconds to guess. Um, and then it moves on. Then they pick a line in a 
roll and pass it back. Or And it plays up to four teams, so you can just kind of keep passing it around. Um, and the game is, honestly, it's pretty hilarious. When you really get into it and you get some people who are good at doing impersonations or not, um, it's it uh, you have a good time with it. Um, it sounds nice. Yeah. Yeah, I'm looking at the the uh, some of your pictures here, where and it's uh, Darth Vader doing a line from American Pie. Yes, that's uh, that's yeah. No, this is this is this is this is honestly almost right up my alley because I know uh, lots of movies and lots of actors and everything. And this, huh? This is, yeah, I so. You you didn't so you didn't create the card game. Somebody else no. came to you and said, "Hey, you know, yeah, I don't know how to develop apps." Well, what works? I'm in a group called the Indie Game Developer Network. Um, we're mostly tabletop RPG developers, but we all do other things as well. And so I put a call to the th- to the list saying, "Hey, I'm um, looking for more projects to do to develop apps of." And Jonathan is also a member, and so he came back and said, "Hey, I've got this card game." So that's kind of how it came out. Is I was went looking for work, and he approached with this project. So is this? Cool. Uh, I'm I'm looking at this. This is is this iOS and iOS Android and Android. Um, I developed it all in Unity, so it's easy to go to both. Um, definitely not leveraging the power that Unity has. Doing you know, I'm just displaying cards, but it you know it functions and it gets the job done and it runs pretty smooth. That was going to be my question was, are you using a, a game uh, development platform like Unity? But yes, you are. Yep, yep. Um, yeah, it's just easy to do animations and make the cards move in nice directions that way. Um, it is free for both. Um, it starts out with a set of 13 voices and about 40 roles. And then there's different um, in-app purchases for different genres of movies that give you additional 13 voices and 40, about 40 rolls each. Um, some go a couple more, some do a couple less than 40, but right in that area. Um, and we've been talking about adding another one for the holidays um, and doing just like a nothing but holiday specials. And that, I said, hey, you know, it'd be really funny then if all the voices are just different versions of Santa Claus. And you have to guess which Santa Claus that is. Oh God! Of that's... It's a terrible idea, but it—I think it's funny. That is a horrible idea. That's like, yes, I could see Christmas movies because you know, you know, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation and that sort of stuff. There, you know. Yeah, yeah, and you know, add in Die Hard and things like that too. You know. All right, now hold on. I, is Die Hard really a Christmas movie? Christmas is yes. in it. That's. Oh, that is. That's like saying Iron Man 3 yes. is a Christmas movie. Sure. <laughs> no, no, I'm saying it's not. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, this has been one of my little like peeves. It's just like, yeah, no, just yes, it's taking place during Christmas, but, you know, there's, yes, a couple of lines. You see, Isaac agrees with me. Um. I just oh, so then what, what a, defines it as a Christmas music? Does it have to be about or as a movie? Does it have to be about Santa Claus? No, it doesn't have to be about Santa Claus. But it's you know it's it could have taken place instead of Christmas. It could have taken place over the Fourth of July, and what would have changed? Uh, how would they have been at the party? Uh, they're up there watching fireworks. You don't do that. I don't go to a. a business event on the 4th of July. I have that day off. Well, yes, but I'm there there's things that were, you know, um I my dad worked in Detroit at Wayne State University and they always had uh the Detroit fireworks. They always had, you know, over the, the Detroit River. And they used to have parties where people would, you know, gather up on, you know, the the roof of the building so they can get a better view of the fireworks. So, okay. So you take die hard, you make over the 4th of July, you put fireworks and that, you know, it's still, you know, it still could work. It doesn't, you know, it, uh, sorry. I'm just pet peeve of mine has been the die hard and Christmas. You know, I, I like die hard. Don't get me wrong. It's a good movie. It's, yeah. But, I, I can see I touched a nerve. <laughs> sorry. So, Steve, how did you get started 
in app development? Um, well, I have. So I went to college originally for computer science. Um, so that's where I got my programming knowledge. And when the, I believe it was about when the first iPad came out, is I said, you know, I can't really learn how to make programs for that. Um, I was working IT for a school district at the time. Um, so I kind of bought some books and figured out, you know, what's different about making iPad apps and um, just kind of poked around on my own there. Um, I took a year off, kind of off from working and tried developing apps full time and put out a few that do okay. Nothing that allowed me to continue to not work. Um, and that was back in 2000 or 2013. I believe I did that. Um, so yeah, I've been, I've been at this for a few years now, kind of here and there though. Um, has it, has it gotten, has it gotten easier or harder with the, the you know, the, the complexity of things? Um, I think it's easier, I'd say. I mean, and every tool that you use is different. You know, if tried to develop something that works on both iOS and Android, obviously you can't really use, you know, the stuff that Apple puts out because it's not going to work on Android. Um, so Swift is a great, easy programming language, but it's not going to do anything for Android. Um, so I'm using, you know, like I said, I use Unity for this game. If I'm doing something that's not so game-related, more of an application, I'd use something called Ionic um, that uses, you know, JavaScript and web-based technologies to make an app. Um, and those, I mean, they're getting easier. They're a little more user-friendly to get into. Um, I'd say it's easier now to make an app than it was back when I first started trying to learn Objective-C. Um, yeah, it's definitely, the barrier to entry is definitely lowering now. Yeah, I, I kind of actually, I some people may or may not know that I actually have written a couple of apps using the uh, Android app developer that MIT uh, is in charge of now. Oh, yeah. And that was actually, you know, that was pretty easy. I was like, oh, this, I can actually do this, you know. There, there, was a, there was a specific need that nobody had an app out for, so I thought, hey, you know, I wonder if I can make it myself. And, you know, with the, with the reading a couple of things, I was able to knock it out. It's, it wasn't the most pretty app, but it did its job perfectly fine. Nice. Yeah, it, it freaked out a little bit sometimes um, with what was going on, but outside of that, it... Uh, I I forgot because uh, I had to convert from milliseconds to hours, and so I accidentally put uh, the wrong number of zeros in my multiplication. <laughs> yeah. Which way did it go? Was it short? Oh, or at long? one point it said that I had run in a negative time split. Oh, wow! So I that's had somehow impressive. had run back in time. Like yeah, I know that's a that's a very impressive feat. So, now, Steve, how long yeah, did it go ahead. take for you to uh, to make this app? Um, I started it in about July, so about, yeah, it was about three months, um, off and on development. It's not, you know, I didn't spend 40 hours a week on it. I've, um, I do freelance IT work also, so, you know, I kind of work on this and go do IT work. Um, I've got some writing I've been doing, so, you know, productivity, it's hard to say exactly how many hours I have into it because it's so Mm -hmm. sporadic from week to week. Um, but yeah, it is about three months of time. Cool. Am I looking at this right that you are actually living in Wyoming? Yes. So I live in Warland, Wyoming, um, town of 6,000 people. How is that for working? Because normally when you, people talk about working in IT, you normally think of like the major hubs of, you know, out west or, you know, New York City or Chicago or right. that sort of thing. How is it working in IT in Wyoming? Well, there's not many IT people out here, and there's a lot of small um, businesses that still need somebody to come and help them out. So I have a variety of, like, I have a home health care service I help out. Um, I have, uh, oh, there's a place called Big Horde Enterprises that's um, kind of a live-in facility for people who are developmentally challenged. Um, and i in there at least once a week, probably. And I've, you know, a couple, you know, like CPAs, law firms, places like that, that just need somebody to come in once a week or a couple times a month to help them out. So, you know, just get enough of those clients and you can do okay. Yeah, it's, 
definitely doesn't have the job as prospects I would have living in like Minneapolis or Denver, someplace like that. Um, but it kind of affords me a little different lifestyle being out here. You know, like you can do my own thing. Oh yeah. And you probably, your nighttime views are probably amazing. Yeah. I actually, I live out in the country a little ways. So I see mountains out three different, three different mountain ranges out three different sides of my house. Oh geez. Um, nice. Yeah. It's, it's pretty awesome. And I have, you know, goats and horses and children and dogs. So lots of room for them to all to run around and, things okay so this app this app is free to download but you have the the dlc content on there yep man that just i i might have to try this out the next uh get together absolutely and that's what that's what's cool about it is so it's you know you need it on one phone and then you pass it around so you can have 20 people easily playing in a game with one device you don't have to say okay everybody go download this thing because you just don't need to um, I like, you know, especially if you have like an iPad mini or, or a smaller tablet that you could pass around. That way it's not your actual phone that's being passed around all night. Um, works really well, too. Um, As I'm sitting here opening up my uh, Kindle right now to it, download said game. There you go. I have not tried putting on the um, Amazon store yet. I need to look into what I need to do to get it on there. Well, anybody who's worth their salt has already put the Play Store on their Amazon devices, but... Right, right. They make it so easy. So if somebody wanted to get into app development, how would you, uh, where would you suggest they start? Is it, is, it, is it literally able to just kind of teach yourself online now, or...? There are a ton of really good tutorial video series out there. Um, there's a few on YouTube. Um, that are really good. Lynda.com has tutorials. Udemy has good tutorials. Um, I would recommend starting with one of those and just kind of working through um, kind of their lessons just to see the different pieces and how they fit together. Um, I know the Reddit threads have really, um, people on there are really good about giving recommendations of saying, oh, here's a good, I, I like this tutorial series, go try this one out. Um, so I kind of lurk in the Reddit thread for 2D Unity development and for iOS programming. And both of them link to different tutorial series here and there. Um, so yeah, that's where I would start if I were trying to start out from scratch. Um, either that or, you know, if you're like me and you don't like to learn from a video, go pick up a book that has a good step-by-step tutorials that you can just follow through. Sorry, I'm trying to actually find the game on the Play Store as I'm literally staring at it on my computer. Why is it not showing up? I've had, I've heard that it has trouble being searchable on the Play Store, and I don't have an Android device myself to test that with. Well, I can tell you right now, it's it's <laughs> it's hard to find it on the Play Store with an Android device. If you type "cast off," so it's officially called "cast off the game of inappropriate casting" on Android. Can you look through for the Radical Bomb games and see if you can get it that way? Yeah, I'm trying that right now. There it is. Yeah, search for Radical Bomb. It's the second one on the list. Interesting. What's the so first one? One way list? of getting it. Uh, let me tell you. Let me go back. Uh, first one on the list is Atomic Bomber. Okay. Is that a pretty radical game? No. Oh. No, it's. It, I I think it looks like a uh, tanks clone. It's got pretty good reviews though. Hmm. But yeah, no, I've got the other one now downloading on my thing, and I shall uh, successfully installed. Sweet. Well, I'm uh, I'm I'm running out of questions, Bri. Do you got anything? No, I I think we've covered a lot of the basics. Seems like a pretty um, interesting game. I'm I'm really interested to try it yeah, out now. I'm, yeah, we'll have to come over and try it out. Yeah. So yeah, no, Steve. Do you, if you, if you want to stick around, you can. If if you need to go, that's fine. Yeah, I think I'll duck out here and. Um, go spend some time with my family. Well, that was Steve with his game Cast Off already now installed on my devices. Yeah, and I'm looking forward to dropping by sometime and playing it. Yep. So, uh, should we hit uh, topics then? Yeah, that sounds good. Okay. Where do you want to start? Because I got a whole big, huge list of them. <laughs> um, let's see. Uh, let's talk about the video games. Because we got okay. lots of those. Yep. Especially uh, now that there's some Halloween sales going on right now. Right. Like on Steam. 
Uh, I've actually been looking at the the Steam sale. It's all scary games, quote unquote, Uh-oh. or all Halloween. But um, now that I've got my Vive up and running, I uh, my nephew has said that he wanted to try one of the scary games, so I should pick one up before it gets back to regular price. I'm looking at these going, nope, nope, <laughs> nope, nope. Got horror VR, nope. Just a, <laughs> oh, you can actually, you can rent movies. Yeah, you can rent horror movies now on Steam, which is can, an interesting choice. Yeah, that's a, huh. But still, nope. I've seen Cube. Cube's good. I liked Cube. And Cube yeah, too. Cube, Cube is interesting. Uh, Cabin in the Woods is very good. So I, was I highly recommend that one. Okay. Yeah, Cube was definitely interesting. Cabin in the Woods, all right, I'll add that to my list. But yeah, I'm looking at the sale going, yeah, no, none of this is uh, none of this is Nothing my Nothing right up your alley. <laughs> well, there's uh, Plague Incorporated. That's, oh, that was is, actually a there. fun game. Mad Cow Disease Update. Oh, funny. I've heard great things about the Doom, too. Yeah, Dave really liked Doom. So, I I don't know. It's uh, I feel I like that's heard. the one book or game in this list. I, maybe not the only one, but... One that's just more the more action than horror. Uh, Dead Rising Four is on the list. Inside so, Limbo. Oh, Limbo! That was that was a good game. Yeah, I remember playing that during the uh, during the potato. Did you play it during that potato Steam event? Yes, yes, I did. Speaking of Steam, it looks like they're now offering digital gift cards. Oh, thank God! Makes the holidays so much easier. <laughs> Right? Like, I would always have to send them, like, buy one off of Amazon and send it to the person. Yeah, it was it was either you had to buy it third party and send it to the person so then they could add it to their Steam wallet, or you had to go through their wish list and kind of find out, okay, you know, what's on sale that's on their wish list that, you know, would be a good thing to get them. But now it's finally you can just, in Steam, send a digital gift card to somebody because, you know makes it so much easier. I'm really surprised that it took them this long. That's that was the that was when I okay, so I, I get the emails from Valve, you know, going like, hey, you know, there's this new thing from Valve and so I read him so they're thinking, I thought this already existed. But then I'm looking at it going, No, no it didn't. This is brand new. It's uh it it was so surprising. It was like, oh, you know, yeah, why did it take them so long? <laughs> um okay, so you can send a digital gift card using PayPal, Bitcoin Credit cards, debit cards. Uh, you will not be able to use your own Steam wallet, though. Which is dumb. So you can't take, you know, you can't send, sell a bunch of trading cards and then use that money to send a gift card to somebody else. Yep. But you can use it to buy stuff for yourself. Mm-hmm. But man, this should make holiday so much easier. Because then you can just be like, bing, bang, boom, bunch of gift cards out there. Everybody's happy. Especially when, you know, right when the Steam sale starts, you just send them off and be like, I'll see you in a couple of days. (laughs) I imagine that's going to be a go-to for our friend group. Yeah, probably. I do have to say, though, that was it was kind of fun going through people's wish lists and being like, you know, what's on this wish list here that, you know, seems like an interesting game for people. So, yeah, I'm losing that part of the fun. You could still do that. Yeah, I could. That is true. Yes, it's it's not like I can only do gift cards now. But this... uh, this should be interesting. Oh, God, Assassin's Creed Origins is out, isn't it? Is it? Yeah. Granted, I am so far behind on that series. <laughs> I still haven't finished uh, Black Flag. That's how far back I am. So I'm a. Well, I definitely have it in my Steam library, but I don't think I've beaten a single one of them. I've, you know, it was an interesting series, you know, for a while. I was even doing like the. the uh, the stuff outside of the game that Ubisoft was doing as well. Oh, the little ARG stuff? Some of the ARG stuff, yeah. Some of the mobile app games that they had going as well. Like, that was that, those were fun. But, man, I am so far behind. Granted, from what I've heard, that this one's a bit different than the other ones. And, you know, it takes place in the time frame before everything else. So maybe, maybe I could just literally jump into this one and hopefully not miss anything. Right. It is first chronologically. Yeah. Well, during the past, we don't know about the present, where it is in the right. timeline. So let's see, what other news video games we have? We've got quite a few things that um, have left or are losing things. Like yes. Microsoft is no longer going to produce the Kinect. 
which I the, the writing was on the wall on this one when they decoupled the Kinect from the Xbox One. Because mm-hmm. when the Xbox One first came out, it was it was all bundled together, right? Yes, you had to buy it together. Yeah, and then you know the the price point was way higher than the new PlayStation, so it's like, all right, you know, Microsoft removed the camera from the console and then just put the console out as well to just kind of make, you know keep it the same price point as the PlayStation. So I feel like at that point the writing was kind of on the wall when you removed <laughs> what you thought of was like you know the main selling point of the device from the device. It, yeah, I I mean I'm a little disappointed that it's dead only from the standpoint of it's a very good way to physically track people or scan things and uh for VR purposes. So as a as part of the Xbox, I don't think it's a very good tool by itself but if you expand it to its other purposes and or if they would have gone with a vr option for the xbox it probably would have been a very good choice oh yeah no the the actual when i've seen every single time i you know i've heard news about the connect it's been by somebody else taking that camera and then attaching it to something else other than the Xbox and doing something with it. Right. It was like the uh, the best thing that I saw there was that virtual camera that somebody had done where it's like, you know, okay, here's one camera from the, the like, one side of the Kinect. Here's the other camera from the other side of the Kinect. He's removed it from the device, so he's put them at, like, farther apart than other things there, and he was actually able to create a virtual camera in the middle by combining the two actual physical cameras, and that one just seems so neat. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that makes me sad that it's dead, but I'm sure similar technology will live on in like the Apple iPhone X or whatever Microsoft's AR projects are in the future. Yeah, I could see the the HoloLens and yeah, Apple actually bought um, PrimeSense, Prime which is the company that kind of yeah. yeah did the the original Connect back in 2013. It's oh, it's just hmm. Granted, now and you know, I still have my Xbox 360, so I'm definitely you know. Was the, was the Kinect for the 360, or was that entirely... So there were two Kinects. There was one for the 360, and then the Xbox One had a updated version of the Kinect with better oh. resolution. Okay. Is the better resolution one backwards compatible, or no? No. Oh. Well, then never mind. <laughs> hmm. No, I actually used the better resolution one when we were up at the cabin to try to scan the cabin itself. How did that and work? It It's really messy. It's going to take me a long time to go through and clean it up. Um, it was going to be my project for November, but I decided to work on something else instead. So Okay. Uh, what else do we got here? Oh, speaking of virtual reality, mm-hmm. the Academy for Motion Picture Arts and Sciences, the um, group that uh, does the Oscars, is going to be presenting a special Oscar for virtual reality this year. Nice. Unfortunately, it looks like it's not like a widely available virtual reality. No, no, this one's it's a it's an installed uh, virtual reality setup at the Los Angeles County Museum of Art. That's too bad. So yeah, he's combining physical spaces with you know like a sand covered floor and you know other things there with uh, an Oculus Rift to uh, what's he saying there to have. Give the person an experience designed after the path of global immigrants and refugees. Hmm. The Academy's president says it opened for us new doors of cinematic perception. So he is actually um, getting uh, a special. Now, this isn't like, you know, your Oscar night Oscars. This is one of the uh, special Oscars. What are they called? I know they they had a bunch of them out during the 70s and the 80s. The Special Achievement Award. Huh. Most of these were handed out during the 70, yeah, 72 through uh, 1995 was the last one. These are, you know, very uh, sound effects and visual effects, and, you know, it's a lot of the technical side of things there, like uh, the visual effects for King Kong and the Poseidon Adventure and, you know, Empire Strikes Back, Raiders of the Lost Ark. It's, it's, these are, like, special awards, you know, that don't really fit. Um, the traditional. Yeah. That's cool. So yeah, the, the last one before this one was Toy Story because it was the first feature-length computer animated film. Which Makes sense. yeah, Toy Toy Story was you know when that came out that was groundbreaking. Yeah, there was nothing like it before. There was uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit got one of these. That one 
still today you look at that and go, yeah, no, this this works. Yeah, I've seen a couple of uh, analy- people analyzing the the video on YouTube and okay. showing all the detail that they had to go in to make that movie feel so uh, realistic. Oh yeah, no, the uh, my favorite one was the one where he, they they had to like. He's gripping, I think, Roger Rabbit's neck, and you know they had to like paint in between each of his fingers. So like you know, then like later in the movie, you see every time he grabs him, he's using a closed fist, so his fingers aren't spread to make it easier on the uh, animators for that. Yeah, the one that uh, I remember off the top of my head is they have a scene where I believe Roger Rabbit is cuffed to a chair, and they hit the lamp. So that the light goes all over the place, which added a significantly more work for the shadows for the animators themselves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that. God, that was... I gotta watch that movie again. Definitely gotta watch that one again. There's so many movies that I haven't... Like, I've seen, but then I don't remember. Yeah. But, so do you... God, it's... Was it... Was it Ready Player One that I heard something about them doing virtual reality for? I don't know. Uh, okay. I know that there yeah. have been several um, movies that have had VR experiences. Um, Spider-Man had one, Ghost in the Shell had one, and Blade Runner just came out with one. Yeah, supposedly uh, the HTC Vive is the official VR partner of Ready Player One. I don't know what that means. Huh. Probably means that it's in the movie somewhere. Probably on a shelf. <laughs> uh, okay, as part of the partnership, HTC will distribute VR experiences through its Vive port platform for both the HTC Vive headset as well as mobile devices. Ready Player One VR will also be available at film festivals and other events. The company is looking to make some of the material available to VR arcades through its business-to-business platform for location-based VR. Fun fact, we have a VR arcade here in Kalamazoo. Ooh. We just got one at the Briarwood Mall as well. Yeah, it was, uh, was it called Nova? Yeah, Nova VR. Which, you know, you look at some of these rooms, they're like, okay, they, they just basically, um, they just have a bunch of big empty rooms with a couple of couches and VR headsets. Mm-hmm. That's all you need. Yeah. Hmm. I haven't actually tried it yet. But, you know, granted, having glasses, I don't know how, how you have glasses, right? Yeah. How well does the glasses work with the VR headsets? Um, so it works It works pretty well. Um, I do find I have more troubles because there's a sweet spot for focus. Like if, you're, if the headset is too low by like fractions of an inch or too high, it gets a little blurry. So I've had issues trying to line that sweet spot up with my glasses as well. Um, and I find it's not a problem when I wear contacts, but, uh, it's definitely doable. I definitely have spent a lot of time with my glasses on while I do VR. Mm. I'll have to keep that in mind. All right. So yeah, VR, what else we got here? We've got Amazon providing the new key service, which I heard seems this like a bad I, idea. Yeah. So those who didn't hear this service is called Amazon key. And it relies on the new Amazon Cloud Cam and a compatible smart lock from, let's see, who are the smart lock? Uh, Yale and Quickset. And then there's the Amazon Cloud Camera, which is a connected camera as well. Mm-hmm. And so essentially, Amazon, when, it's, when your package is being delivered, the courier can unlock your house via a one-time code that they get from Amazon that works with uh, the lock. And it will also turn on the camera so that you can see that somebody has entered your door. And it's supposed to be secure, but I can. this just looks like a hacker's paradise. Yeah, if somebody can get, you know, the, the database of... God, I don't... Okay, but, so there's two sides to this. One, you know, there's the problem of giving somebody literally access to your house. Right. They, they literally will have a key to open your door. It's a one-time only key, so they can't come back later and do it. Um, but then there's the other half of this where, you know, you're leaving, you know, maybe a $200 item on somebody's front porch. Right. So I guess the question is, if are you spending enough money on stuff that you're getting into your house that you're not worried about the stuff that's already there? <laughs> 
is there is there a tipping point where you've ordered enough stuff on Amazon that the stuff in your house is worth more than what's actually getting delivered? Worth less is what we'd yes. have to have. Yeah. And that is only like a one-time thing because A, I don't think you're going to spend that much more money. And B, that stuff will also now be in your house. So, Granted, most of my Amazon deliveries are either via UPS mm-hmm. or the post office. Right. And having been a former postal worker, if... Okay, so if I am a postal employee, which I have been, I have delivered Amazon packages before to people. They're they're so busy that I would not have time to deal with this. You know, yeah, I, I'm not if somebody gives me the code, I would, I would literally just type it in, take the box, literally set it to the right or to the left of the door, whatever, you know, opens up the door swings, you know, left to right. I drop it right off the inside of the left hand door and then shut the door again because I ain't got time for that. No, I'm actually not worried about the courier here. I'm actually more worried about, um, the a hacker that just wants to get in because yes no there have been plenty of times where smart lock especially you know at hotels and other places like that and people have been easily able to get access to right so yes no it's it's not the actual career that i'm worried about yes it's the ability for you know somebody else to have the smart lock you know it's because you know if somebody's you know bent over in front of your door trying to pick your lock that looks very suspicious if you know somebody just walks up to your thing and then you know has a has literally has like a box under their arm and they're typing on the keypad that doesn't look suspicious at all to anybody right especially after this gets big yeah so yeah no i i'm not opposed I, to the idea of having a locker that they install but i mean most of my items that are going to be that I'll want to have protected are going to be too big for a locker. Well, that's what I, I thought about this for a while with our house because, you know, we don't really have any good place to store things. If something gets dropped off, there's been plenty of times, you know, we've got some pretty big boxes from Amazon literally sitting behind me right now, mm-hmm. like where I could literally probably curl up and fit inside this thing. <laughs> um, like, you know, what, what do I do with that? Most of, you know, I could... If it's getting delivered via UPS, just tell them like, hey, you know, just don't worry about delivering it. I'll go pick it up at the UPS store, which was a lot better at our old house or our old apartment because I could easily, you know, the UPS delivery place was like a half mile down the road. Mm. Um, but now it'll be a little bit harder because we're now, you know, a couple more miles away. But, you know, where would they put it? Like, do we get like, like a like a giant outdoor like planter box sort of thing that opens up that you can drop things in and then you get somebody with like a like a lock to lock it or something? That, that was was actually a couple of places that I uh on my postal route where people uh because I was a rural delivery sometimes people live like literally a half mile away from the road down like a long mm. dirt driveway right and one of uh, a couple of the houses just had a big almost like a big like igloo cooler chest out by the side of the road and it had uh, a little combination lock at, at you know hanging from it mm-hmm. so what you would you know, they said like, you know, if, if, you know, rather than having to drive all the way to the house and drop it off and then drive all the way back, especially if it's snowy, the postal vans do not work well in the snow. Um, all you were supposed to do is just literally just, you know, open up the box, put your package in the box, close it and put, you know, lock the combination lock. And, you know, that was, you, hey, you dropped off your package. That's no problem. So that one I could see a lot more than just, yeah, if, you know, if I just get like a, like an Amazon locker that you can put next to your house where people can just drop things in there and just lock it. Right. That would be a lot better than literally, you know, if that database of information gets hacked, oh no, they have access right. to my Amazon locker, which may or may not have anything in it at the time. Right. That, that's why I don't have as much of an issue with them putting a locker out there or me buying one or whatever. But, um... Well, they've they've done that in the past, the haven't they? They've had they've had like lockers at like Seven Elevens and other places, right? Yeah, and I think they're even branching out to some apartment owners. Like, um, if you have live in an apartment complex and all the mail, the big items are dropped off at like the office. Mm-hmm. I know that they're talking about uh, installing more lockers there. But yeah, I can just I see those popping up more and more. But I'm not sure about this Amazon key service itself. Okay, so also I'm reading into this that it's not actually UPS in the post office. Amazon only trusts its own delivery team to handle this work. So right now Amazon key is only available in 37 cities across the U.S. where Amazon Logistics handles the drop-off. So I have a feeling this was probably not going to come to my area. Yeah, nor mine. Nope. 
Sorry, we are too far away from anything Amazon related. Which is fine. Mm-hmm. Wasn't going to use it anyways. Nope. So other Amazon news. It seems the Amazon uh, goes to the Amazon Game Studios that they talked about many moons ago. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the big, like, the, the key game that they were talking about for this Amazon Game Studios is a game called Breakaway. You know, this was, this was the... This was the Jewel in the Tierra of the game studio. This is, you know, this is what Amazon, this was the, the main game for Amazon's game studio. Well, in a post on the Breakaway website, Amazon confirms portions of Kotaku's report that the game is kind of on indefinite hiatus. Yeah. Making games is hard. Yes. Yes, it is. This, uh, yeah, no. No, Amazon Game Studio, it's going to be great. It's going to be great. And they really haven't done anything yet. And this yet. game was announced back in September 29th, 2016. Been over a year, and now it's on indefinite hiatus. Yeah, the, the team plans to, quote-unquote, take the time to iterate and evolve Breakaway's core gameplay for an indefinite amount of time. Hmm. This is kind of funny, because this happened after the uh, public alpha weekend that happened. Oh, really? Yeah, so my guess is, you know... The alpha didn't did the go pu- well. The alpha did not go well, it seems. Which, you know, the, the game supposedly is combining elements of Rocket League and Overwatch, which, you know, are two great games. Right. It's an interesting idea. Yeah. And Amazon owns Twitch, so there was integrating Twitch into it, which is great as well. So it's like, you know, took three great things and all mashed them together and somehow it just didn't work. Yeah. At least this iteration of it didn't work. Yes. So we'll see, you know, I, I'm very confused by this, but we'll see how this goes. The other uh, surprising news, The Escapist is laying off basically everybody. Did you tend to go to The Escapist for any of your news? Uh, Used to. Used to many, many moons ago. Mostly I went to The Escapist on Tuesday for Yahtzee. (laughs) Yeah, that's the only reason why I ever went to to The Escapist. And he definitely, like, he fell off my radar after a while. I, you know, I was still, you know, he did so many of those things. It's, you know, for a while, you you would kind of just have to like binge on them. It's like you would disappear for a bit and then, you know, binge on three or four of them and then, you know, go away again and then come back. And which is funny because that, you know, as the post in the forum states that uh, it's with regret that to our knowledge that all paid staff have been relieved of their duties with the apparent exception of Yahtzee. Oh, no. (laughs) The escapist streaming staff. And a few people have contracted hours for a few contract hours a month. So I had forgotten that Extra Credits was originally on Escapist. It was, and wasn't I, it? Is that still? Yeah, on? and I definitely followed uh, Extra Credits after they jumped there and went on to YouTube. So if they would have kept uh, Extra Credits, I might have gone to The Escapist more often. Huh. God, I'll have to... That, so that's where that went to. That was another one of the, yeah, some of the videos on, on The Escapist were great. Mm-hmm. But, you know, this is, just in case you're wondering, the original people from The Escapist uh, sold the company back in 2014, uh, 2012. So, yeah, they got bought by Alloy Digital in 2012. And then in 2014, it merged with Break Media to form Defy Media. So it's... Is it the same escapist now as it used to be? No, oh, absolutely not. But hopefully the the original owners got out with uh, some cash and don't have to worry about it. Mm-hmm. And I have a feeling if Yahtzee jumped to YouTube, he'd be perfectly fine. Oh, yes. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't need the escapist for his thing. He could go to YouTube. He could be his own thing. No problem whatsoever. Absolutely. So speaking of Australians and Dave and Dave, well, I was going to go with New Zealand. That's close to Australia. Gotcha. Yeah, that's close. Yeah. Just don't, don't, don't confuse the two of them. Don't confuse them. They will be very angry. Yes. So New Zealand, New Zealand's national party used music from lose yourself in a 2014 election ad. Mm -hmm. And so no surprise. uh, You sued. Eminem well, he sued. didn't sue. Eminem states in Variety that the rapper did not initiate the lawsuit and was not consulted about it. Who did really? start the lawsuit was um, Eight Mile Style, a music publisher that owns some of Eminem's early catalog. Oh, so he doesn't actually own the rights anymore. No, that was the same thing. Like with um, a lot of Michael Jackson's stuff, or no, the Beatles. A lot of the Beatles catalog 
uh, went up for auction for something, I think from Apple Music or something like that. And normally everybody, you know, was going to let the Beatles basically be the only one to bid on their own music. Well, uh, Paul McCartney had talked to Michael Jackson about, you know, the real money for songs isn't in like, you know, the performance of it. It's in the the songwriter credits and that sort of stuff there. So Michael Jackson bought a majority of the Beatles music library. Wow. Which was, that's kind of, that's kind of a dick move. Like it was, it was almost, it was an unwritten rule. That's like, you know, okay, the Beatles music catalog is going up for auction. Nobody should touch it other than, you know, the remaining Beatle members who are alive. But instead Michael Jackson comes in and outbids the Beatles. So I would definitely need to know more about the behind the scenes because it's quite possible that the Beatles were like, you know, maybe you should go for this. You know, I, I have no idea what the internal politics are on that. Supposedly, that's what it was just, you know, everybody, you know, didn't want to upset the Beatles because why would you want to piss off the Beatles? Right. But, you know, the one person who had more money than the Beatles in the music industry was Michael Jackson at the time, and he outbid the Beatles. Granted, now Michael Jackson passed away in the estate put the auction up for there. And I think Paul McCartney, you know, no surprise, was the only guy who bought all of his own music back. Mm. So all's well that ends well, I guess. Uh, Eminem has now said that the rapper will be donating to Hurricane Relief any proceeds he receives from the court ruling. Huh. I'm surprised that he'll receive any if he doesn't own the the rights. But maybe he's got it in there. I don't know. Well, I think it was... Um, there have been supposedly there have been news reports about the trial throughout the year in both the U.S. and New Zealand press that clearly refer to Mathers as the plaintiff. Granted, it might just be news people not understanding the music industry. Right. So yeah, the the country of New Zealand, well, the New Zealand National Party has been ordered to pay four hundred and twelve thousand dollars for using music that was very similar to "Lose Yourself" in a twenty fourteen election ad. So that's a weird number. Um, except if you look at in it in New Zealand dollars, it's six six hundred thousand on the dot. So okay, that's it's all the exchange rate, right? Hmm. So uh, continuing our trend over in that area, uh, I guess much further, Honolulu will now uh, fine people a hundred dollars for texting while they cross the road. That's only after your third. So the first time that you're caught texting while walking through a crosswalk, it's $35. Second offense is $75, and then the third offense and on is $100. So if you have any travel plans, put that phone down when you walk across the street. I feel like that's just a good, just across the board, you know. Don't cross the street without... That's what we tell kids all the time. It's, you know, look both ways before crossing the street. Right. You know, don't look at your phone. That's just, you know, that's bad. It's, there's, there's gotta be, you know, like if I, speaking of YouTube, you know, I bet you anything, if I look up on YouTube and I look like texting fails. Oh yeah. There's probably plenty of videos of people walking into things while they're on their phone. Texting and walking fails compilation three months ago. That's four minutes there. Uh, there's another one that's a minute and a half. Another with two minutes, 3.30. Uh, there's, yeah, there's, there's so many minutes of literally people texting and running into things. <laughs> oh, people hitting into walls and glass fails compilation. Yep, there's. You could probably spend a whole day just watching people texting and running into things. Yeah, well, it's not like everybody doesn't have a cell phone, or at least forty-two percent of Americans under eight have their own tablet. That is so weird. It's not that surprising to me, to be no, honest. No, no, it's surprising how quickly that went up there. I think the sent the from a few years ago, it was basically like one or two percent. I think five or six years ago, it was you know barely a blip, but now forty-two percent. Well, it's an easy way to keep your kid entertained. Well, yes, that's um, this article has a link to the uh, an interview with the vice president of PBS Kids Digital because you know PBS Kids is all about you know. Know, educating the youth but mm-hmm. then you know she's the digital person so she she has a pretty good interview about you know you know because a lot of people are like oh yeah screen time for kids is bad you know right you gotta keep your kids and away from it's all about the content yeah which is kind of funny because isaac right now is even sometimes when we're watching tv with him he'll even you know start staring at the tv and we're like "Ooh, already really well when we went to uh dinner with you guys he was definitely more interested in the the football game on the screen than he was in anybody else around him yep but man yeah the 
Uh, 40, yeah, 42% of kids, 0 to 8, have their own tablet. Yeah, here up from less than 1% in 2011. So yeah, last six years, jumped from less than 1% to 42%. I'm sure a good chunk of that is the price of tablets dropped considerably, as yeah, well no, as... Yeah, uh, Oh, my brother got my sister the Amazon Kindle Fire Kid, the kid version, whatever that's called. Let's see if that's I can. That's it. But uh, Fire tablets. Here we are. What is it called? Fire Seven Kids Edition. Hundred dollars. It has the two-year warranty, free guarantee as well. You know, it has a kid-proof case. One year of Amazon free time unlimited. So you know, it's I. You see, this is the debate that I've always had with Dave. Is you know, is you know, kids and technology a good thing? Where it's you know, yes growing up in a digital society but you know we don't want the the tablet to be the babysitter that just yeah i think with technology it's it's always a double-edged sword um if you don't give the kid technology um and every other kid has it you're really not setting them up to survive very well in the digital age but at the same time you've got to be cautious about the uh addictive qualities of technology yes yes it is very addictive with some things mm-hmm. well it's, it's even in the interview here that uh, uh dewitt talks about how she's got two kids you know the first one her five-year-old would watch tv and play video games all day so she had to set specific limits with her younger son, though, he doesn't even want to watch a whole TV program. So it's like, you know, it's also the individual, you know, kids. You got to... Right. Yeah. Kate also says that we don't want our quality family time being us sitting, staring at our devices. It's true. It's mm-hmm. definitely something that I noticed uh, hit our friend group pretty hard. I want to say about five years ago when we were go up to Manistee. Yeah, we'd all be uh, sitting around. We would literally just be sitting around on, on our phones instead of playing a board game or just talking and hanging out. So yeah, it affects yeah. adults too. Yep. Yeah, there's which is kind of funny because most of the the uh, parents in Silicon Valley have had a very strict no technology rule for their own kids. Where it's like the people who live and breathe this stuff all day have kind of you know put it, put the the hatchet down and said, all right, you know, nope, we I don't want you going down this path. So I know we have a couple more issues to get to, but should we hit up the random uh, review? Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at the time. We should probably hit the random review and the random topic. So, random review. Uh, since Jake did it last week, I am doing mine this week. And I am doing Clue. The board game? Uh, the app. Oh. Yes, there is uh, an app out there. Granted, if you try and Google Clue app, you will actually get a period and ovation tracker. So uh, make sure to Google Clue Game <laughs> app. Clue App Game? <laughs> yes, Clue App Game or Clue Game App. We'll see if it, yeah, Clue Clue App Game, yes. That will also get yeah. you there. Huh. But yeah, no, the Clue App, that's just, you know, that's for baby making. That is a very interesting name for it. Or, you, you know, when your period is going to show up, either one. So, um... Yeah, that's completely. That's not what I'm talking about. I am talking about the <laughs> board game turned mobile app called Clue. Uh, what's the official Clue Classic Mystery is what it's called. So it's Clue. It's you know you got your you got your suspects, you got your weapons, you got your rooms, you got a you know you got a you got a board here. Granted, you know, the board is not the exact same as the uh, classic board on there, but you still have, you know, you still have all your rooms and everything's in the right spots. Yes, you can you can get the classic board game, but no surprise, downloadable DLC. Yep. Uh, even Oh, yeah, the other fun thing is the app itself is not free. The app on uh, Android, I do believe, is $2, and on iOS is $4. That's unusual for a, a game for Android. Yeah, I know. That was the, yeah, I was, I was sitting there looking at it going like, oh my gosh, you know, it's an actual app that, you know, requires money. I did not see that coming. But uh, 
it's it's Clue. You've got your characters and everything else there. So it's it's uh, it's fun. You know, if you just wanted to, you know, knock down and play a game or so. The downside is there is currently no multiplayer. I was going to say that's the big deal. Is there a multiplayer allowed? Nope. No that's pass and play. No online multiplayer. This is single player only. They've said for a while that they are working on multiplayer, but uh, they currently do not have it set up that way. They've added, you know, different themes. There's a Hollywood theme. There's a Halloween theme, all of which, you know, cost money. And if you actually Mm -hmm. wanted to buy the ultimate detective package, which unlocks all current and future boards and characters, the current price right now is $30. How much is the board game? Yeah, how much is, you know, if I wanted to buy Clue on Amazon right now, how much is that? Let's Google Clue. I see one for... $16, $16, but has $20 shipping. Oh, I see one for $9. Yes, eight seventy seven includes the new suspect, Dr. Orchid. And it's got all the same artwork as the app does. Yep, that's the. it's a smaller game board. Huh. My guess is so you spend less time out in the halls and more times actually, you know, doing the game. Mm. Yeah, so the, the classic edition is $18. That's the original that's the one that everybody's grown up playing. My God. Which I always pick Zelda Mr. Clue. Green, which turns out is the worst character to pick. Because I think every other character has the ability to get into a room on like the first roll or something like that. Or has, huh. you know, pretty good odds of getting into a room on the first roll. But Mr. Green and I think uh, Miss White are sitting behind the ballroom and have uh, less of a chance of actually entering a room on their first roll. This was on one of my uh, board game books that I read. But yeah, no. So the app costs money. It's single player only. DLC costs an arm and a leg way more than the actual just original app does. So, you know, the good news is that uh, Kate and I have the home library set up for our Google accounts. So Kate bought it, and I was just able to download it, you know, no problem. Granted, she bought some of the DLC. I don't have access to her DLC for some odd reason. So, yeah, it's... I'm just watching somebody play the game, and, and the UI looks pretty good. Oh, yeah, no, the UI is nice, and it really, you know... The UI uh, automatically fills in the little detective card for you for the stuff that, you know, is, you know, if somebody suggests, you know, Mr. Green, the lead pipe in the ballroom, sorry, as I flick my thing with my finger, ow, um, if somebody suggests that and the computer character goes, no, I don't have any of those cards, it will automatically fill out your little detective sheet for you saying that, no, Plum does not have those cards. So, you know, it, it really helps with, you know, learning how to play Clue correctly. Yeah, I mean, it does make it so that you're not doing nearly as much work. And I can see that being both a positive and a negative. Well, some of the stuff there uh, you can do, you can, you, can, you can address the detective's card on your own as well. Because, you know, they do some of their stuff on there. But sometimes I put, like, possibilities of answers on there. Going like, okay, you know, Miss Scarlet might have Mr. Green, the lead pipe, or the ballroom. You know, it's could be because she said she's got one of them, but I don't know which one. So then I can kind of narrow it down. And there's been a couple of times where, I've, you know, I've gone through the list going like, okay, you know, by, oh, you know, she used to have this card, but now I know she doesn't have this one and she doesn't have this one. So therefore she must have the lead pipe. And so I can mark that down there and then I can start you know, really working on it. And the AI is actually in the medium and hard difficulty. The AI in the hard difficulty is hard. They're doing the whole bluffing, you know, picking cards that they have to try and narrow down the list on other ones. It's it's a bit more difficult on the medium and hard levels than it is on the easy. Huh. So yeah, no. If you got two dollars sitting on your Google credits, and you you know, it's it's a fun little single player game. But you know, if they make multiplayer for it, that would that would put it in a whole different category than just you know. I wonder if they have Clue on the games for emails because that would be that would actually be interesting. Nope, it's been no, so long since I've done a games by email. Yep. Nope. That is a negatory on that one. Probably because they don't have the rights. But yeah, Clue, two dollars, four dollars. If you if you like Clue and you got like I said some Google credits to spend, go ahead. If you don't, then um, it's it's not for you then. So, any other questions about it, Brian? No, I think that's good. Okay, well then uh, let's move on to the random topic. Roll ahead of time. The question is: Who on the podcast today would be a better father for Pinocchio? I don't remember the movie Pinocchio. I <laughs> funny we have Steve here because I is is Pinocchio one of the characters in the uh, in the game? 
Or are you no, not allowed to uh, use uh, Disney characters? Um, so Pinocchio is not in the game. I totally could use them because, um, yeah, we did a lot of research on copyright law ahead of time. Um, and that's, we can use movie quotes and movie characters. Um, what we can't use is song quotes um, because it falls under a completely different copyright. Really? So, yes, we do have Pinocchio. Yeah, um, songs are part of fall under poetry, um, and you can't use a piece of a poem in your own piece. Um, that's a derivative work, and it, it just the way it comes out in copyright is very different. Um, but with movies, you're fine because nobody's going to confuse the game for the actual movie. Huh. That is so weird. It is. It is weird. Um, so okay, that's what you, so let me get this straight. So if I'm in a movie. And I'm, you know, saying a line, and then all of a sudden I start singing. The quote literally would have to stop right before I start singing. Probably. That is so weird. That's an interesting perspective. Um, huh. Yeah, you can you can go and make t-shirts with other people's movie quotes on them and sell them. So I wonder but if... Not, I don't think they could do it. Huh. So with your example of the singing, I wonder if you also have to sell the song separately from the the movie, if you only made it in the movie and never had another uh, venue for the song, maybe you wouldn't have that issue. You'd probably have to copyright, like register the song as its own entity in the copyright. Probably. That's just that is just so that's so weird. But okay, so right, Pinocchio. Going back to Pinocchio. <laughs> Pinocchio. Pinocchio. I d- so we just I have to remember. be better than Geppetto, right? Yeah. I, uh, Pinocchio. Um, so wait. So he was he was a he was a was a marionette. Mm-hmm. Then somehow a cricket turned him into a real boy or something uh, like the that. The Disney version has a magical fairy. And then I remember something about him like joining the circus, and then somehow got ate by a whale. And that's I yeah, I don't remember Pinocchio. I swear I've seen it. He wanted to learn more about being a real boy or something, so he ran off. And, and things did not go well for him. No. And that's about all I remember. Oh, wow. So yeah, The Adventures of Pinocchio was 1883. Wow. Walt Disney stole so much <laughs> from public domain. Oh, well, yeah, my God. That was his primary source. And then the Walt Disney Company turns around and creates copyright laws that uh-huh. will go on forever. Really? Wow. So, okay, so I, I'd Disney. say probably any of us will be better than Geppetto. <laughs> I I really hope my my uh, son does not decide to grow up and join the circus and run away because that would just be uh, the the thing that I don't get is for Geppetto. If, if I remember correctly, in the movie, he the next time you see him after Pinocchio runs away, he's already in the belly of the whale. So does that mean Geppetto thought, oh no, Pinocchio ran away. He might be in the sea. I should go there and look. Because that's not very bright. I'm wondering, wasn't it, was it a kind of a seaside town anyway? And that if you're going to go some away, that's just the direction you go? Okay, uh, all right, here we go. When Pinocchio returns home, he finds the shop empty and learns from a letter by the Blue Fairy that Geppetto, venturing out to sea to rescue Pinocchio from Pleasure Island, has been swallowed by the whale. Okay, that's a little bit better. Oh, no, it's not actually a whale. It's a whale-like variation of the terrible dogfish. Huh. So it's it's not an actual whale. It's a dog. That is, I didn't know that. Oh, okay, in the Disney version, it is portrayed as a whale. But in the book, it's a giant dogfish. Hmm. Okay, so Geppetto actually went to try and rescue him, but then got swallowed by a whale instead. And that, okay. Disney movies sometimes are pretty horrible. <laughs> wow. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, I, I, I would say that, yes, any of us, you know, could be a better father than Geppetto. But granted, the question asks, which of the three of us would be a better far, father for Pinocchio? And I don't know about that one. I would say not me, because I'm not a father at this point, but... I don't know Steve well enough to make the decision between you and him. I'd say I went out of experience, if if that's a metric we want to use. I don't know. I I don't know. Sounds like a good enough uh, metric to me. Yeah, no, I'd say, yeah. Um, so, yeah, uh, I, I, either one of us, I think, would be a good choice. But 
I, I don't know, but wow, really a dog. It's hard to have a really good answer to that. Huh. Well, that's, uh, we don't really actually have to really answer. We just have to discuss these random topics. We don't have to, you know. So, uh, Steve, before we uh, wrap this thing up, um, mm-hmm. where can people find the, like, what website can people go to for the game and that sort so, of thing? Where can people find you, that sort of stuff? The easiest place to find me is on radicalbomb.com. Um, that has, there's a link right there to download Cast Off. Um, is all links to find me on Twitter, Facebook, Google Plus off of there as well um, and sign up for my mailing list or however you would like to reach me. Um, Radicalbomb.com is definitely where to start. Okay. Well, Steve, uh, thank you for uh, spending some time with us today and uh, I hope everything goes great with this because this seems like such a fun fun game that I'm definitely going to have to uh, try out. I'll probably review it sometime in the future as well, so that'll be nice. Awesome. That'd be great. Alright, thank you. And Bri, thanks for uh, joining us as well. No problem. Alright, that's a wrap. This has been another episode of the Random Access Podcast. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, corrections, suggestions, remarks, reviews, rebukes, retorts, or just rants, feel free to contact us. You can find us on Twitter at podcast, or send us an email at mail at rapodcast.net. Thank you for listening.